Grace, mercy, and peace be upon you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, church, it is good at the beginning of another year of ministry. It's good to be together as the family of faith, as the gathering of God's people. It is good to be together as the body of Christ. Now, as of late, as of late, the media, the cultural media has been flooded with stories of body shaming. If we're to pull out of the pop culture world, Melanie Linsky, who's a wonderful character actress who has had a myriad of roles both in television and in film, recently brought to light the amount of body shaming that she has experienced in the world of Hollywood as costume designers, as directors, and others have suggested to her that if she were just a little bit thinner, then of course her experience in Hollywood would be just a little bit better. But friends, body shaming is not limited to Hollywood, uh, nor, nor is it limited to those who should be, quote, thinner. Friends, body shaming is the action or the practice of subjecting someone to humiliation and criticism for their physical appearance. And the scope, the scope of body shaming uh, can include, it's wide, it can include things like fat shaming, of course, but thin shaming as well, height shaming, hairiness shaming, and or premature balding shaming. It can include body shape shaming or muscularity shaming. Uh, It could be birthmarks or marks left by disease. In fact, there's a study done in 2017 by a doctor named Michaela Matheson. She reveals that suicide due to body shaming is the fourth leading cause of death in students ages 15 to 19. Fourth leading cause. Needless to say, a body shaming is real, very real, and it should be taken seriously, very seriously. A body shaming is, of course, a result of sin and the brokenness that it causes in us, even as we relate to our own bodies. Now, what we, what we think about or what we perceive or what we feel about our own bodies is what we call body image. And most of us, most of us have kind of this, this sort of weird relationship with our bodies. Like when we look at them kind of full frontal, we know all the things that are right and all the things that are wrong with our bodies. In fact, most of us, most of us are often uncomfortable about our bodies. Now, I should pause here maybe long enough because some of you are like, didn't realize we we're going to have that kind of conversation at church this morning, and you're starting to squirm a little bit, like all the talk about body, like I've seen enough of me, like I don't, I don't need to think about it anymore. So why, why are we talking about it? Well, to be honest, to be honest, we, we should just admit that the bodies are weird. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're beginning a new series which will explore the church. 
It'll explore the communion of saints, the gathering of God's people. We'll explore the New Testament picture of the body of Christ. You see, more than any other metaphor, St. Paul uses the body to describe, to describe the nature of God's gathered people. And so, over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about bodies. You're welcome. Now you're prepared for what happens next week. We want to explore, friends, we want to explore what it means, what it means to be the body of Christ. And what are the unique values of this community of faith? And how those values are different than other communities that we might be a part of. And finally, week number four, practically speaking, we'll talk about what it means to live inside of this body together. So, we're going to get right into it this morning, and to do that, you're going to need a Bible. So paper, digital, the one you brought, the one that we provide. Either way, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 12. I, I, while you're getting there, I just want to say uh, to our readers today, to Laura and Tammy this morning, like, good on you for reading it. Parts and bodies and bodies and parts and ones and all. You did a great job, by the way. Really well done. Listen, as you're getting there, I want to recognize, I recognize right, that we're, we're jumping into the middle of a letter uh, by St. Paul. So let me, let me just take a couple of extra minutes, maybe, to describe the context of this letter, the background of this letter. So Paul, Paul is writing to the women and to the men who make up the church, who make up the communion of saints in the town of Corinth. Now, in many ways, Corinth is a multi-ethnic, wickedly diverse, wonderfully diverse community. Uh, Julius Caesar had built a Roman colony there in 44 BC. And the first settlers of Corinth were veterans out of Caesar's army. But shortly afterward come slaves and merchants and tradesmen. In fact, if we were to read in Acts chapter 19, we'd read that a number of Jewish people, a good number of Jewish people, actually move into Corinth because the leader, Claudius at the time, kicks all of the Jews out of Rome. And the Corinthian harbor, the harbor is like booming all the time. Uh, needless to say, in this beautifully multi-ethnic, wonderfully diverse community, everything is abuzz with activity. Now, as, as I imagine you can imagine, because of this incredible diversity, there was no end, no end to the variety of superstitious, religious, and philosophical beliefs. It was diverse in the amount of beliefs that were in Corinth. And friends, the, the cultural palette of belief influenced the church. Right? The culture and its beliefs influenced the church. In fact, it created divisions inside of the house churches here at Corinth. And these were churches that Paul had planted on his second missionary journey. And so, so what do these divisions in the house church look like? Here, here's a, a quick breakdown of what Paul describes. He says, after proclaiming freedom in Christ 
freedom from the law in Christ, several people in the community of Corinth, in the church community of Corinth, they rose up and called themselves experts. Now these, quote, this is words of Paul, immature know-it-alls, created division among the people. And here's the kind of division these experts in the house churches of Corinth said. Uh, one, one believes that everybody should get circumcised, while another expert says nobody needs to be circumcised. Another expert gets up and says, listen, we should abstain from eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. Another one gets up and says, no, we should have a barbecue every week for that food. Another person gets up and says, listen, we should be able to do whatever we want because we have freedom in the gospel, even if that means marrying my father's wife. Some people were beginning to teach that there was no resurrection and people were taking the Lord's meal too lightly. All of these divisions were living in the church at Corinth. Basically, uh, the church was a mess, friends, when Paul writes this letter. And from Paul's perspective, the churches at Corinth had lost sight of the truth. Or as Martin Luther says, he says, truth, truth can never remain intact when people begin to believe or imagine that they are wise and know it all. Truth cannot stay intact when people begin to imagine that they are wise and they know it all. Well, what was the truth that Paul thought they lost? Well, here's how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. Here's what I resolved. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but rather with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on God's power. So primary for Paul primary for the truth that Paul wants to hold in the Corinthian church is Christ and him crucified. That is the center of their being so that their faith, and yes, even our faith, might rest solely in God's power and not on humanity's, quote, wisdom. So the body of Christ, friends, the body of Christ is not a mouthpiece for human wisdom. It is not a political pundit that's offering thoughts on the agendas of the day, but rather the body of Christ is Christ and him crucified. For where Christ is proclaimed and his cross proclaimed, there is the power of God. And so, friends, with Christ and him crucified at the center of their life together, powered by God himself, Paul begins now in Romans chapter 12 to describe the, the community's relationship to Christ, how the community is to understand itself, whether it's a, a house church or a local church or a mega church or an underground church. He wants us to understand what it means to be the people of God. So here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. Here's how it reads. Just as a body, though one has many parts, 
but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So what can we grab? First, here it is, the body of Christ, this gathering of saints, is at the same time diverse in its parts and unified as a whole. It is diverse in its parts and unified in a whole. It is diverse and unified. Each part, Paul will say, matters. Each part is unique and brings something to the body. Each and every part matters to the body, yet together they make something entirely unique. And this unique makeup of the body of Christ, of all of these individuals coming together to be unified, this unique makeup is akin to the biblical description of the Trinity, of one God who is simultaneously three persons. Now, as a, as a body of believers, we usually profess faith in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit using one of two creeds, either the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Uh, we have shied away in the past of using the Athanasian Creed, which is the third creed. We do that because it's like 24 pages long, right? It, it's super lengthy. It would take up our whole hour of worship together. And so we've stayed away from it. But the Athanasian Creed is very specific to the things of the Trinity, and I believe actually to the body of Christ. So here's just the opening sentence to that creed. It says, we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. Listen, if you know what that means, if you can actually tell me what that means, you're probably a heretic because it's a mystery, right? The idea that we are simultaneously diverse and united. Three persons, simultaneously one God. And yet, and yet, friends, this is why the metaphor that St. Paul uses, this is why the metaphor of the body is so powerful, because we understand that the arm is not the leg, which is not the hand. And the leg is not the body, nor is the arm the body, or the hand the body. It's only when all of those are together that it is one body. So as we think about the church, we have to think about two things, both its beautiful diversity and the gifts that everybody brings to it, at the same exact time that we are one entity. Second, and this is key, let's keep reading. It says, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were given, all given, the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Friends, th th this is key for you and me. Here here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, entry... Entry into the body looks the same for everybody. Uh, nobody gets in differently. It's, it's not like Downton Abbey, right, where there's a downstairs entrance and an upstairs entrance. What Paul is saying is there's not a Jewish entrance into the body. There's not a Gentile entrance into the body. There's not a slave entrance into the body or a freed person entrance into the body. Everybody gets into the body of Christ in the exact same way by the washing of the Spirit. There's no distinction here between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male or female. 
There's no distinction. Everyone is washed by the same Spirit. Now, friends, this statement of truth by Paul is humongous. Because remember, Corinth is a multi-ethnic, diverse city with a very clear hierarchy. Culturally, there are massive distinctions between the Jews and the Romans, between slaves and free people. And there was, there was a power grid that some people benefited from, some people were controlled by, but everybody was living by this same power grid. And in one statement, Paul is essentially saying the body of Christ is different than the culture. And here's how it's different. In a community where Christ and his cross are at the center, all must be equally respected regardless of their class, of their ethnicity, or their gender. All are baptized into one body and made to drink of one spirit. Or as Paul says in verse 25, there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. That in the body of Christ, there is no hierarchy. We are all the same. There's no power grid inside of the body of Christ. And so each of us, image bearers as we are, we are brought into a community, into this body of Christ through one spirit to form one body. Now Paul goes on to say that in this body, there is to be no body shaming. Now, Paul says body shaming can happen in the body of Christ in two ways. The first one is a self-shaming, and the second one is an others-shaming. So, let's look at verse 15 together. This is self-shaming. Paul says, now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would, for that reason, not cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. You see, this is a self-shame. Again, I, I probably don't have to tell us that you and I, uh, we talk to ourselves more than anybody else talks to us. And the conversations that we have in our own head, for the most part, can either lead us into a place of wholeness or can lead us into a place of brokenness. And because you and I are broken image bearers, because we bear the weight of sin, oftentimes our self-talk takes us to a place of brokenness where we wear our own shame. And you and I, right, we're well aware of our own flaws. We're well aware of our own brokenness. And because we're so aware of that brokenness, because we're so aware, we become self-conscious. And because we become so self-conscious, we become our own worst critics. And so we begin to say, well, you know, because I, because I dress a particular way, I'm, I'm probably not welcome there. Because I'm a person of color, probably not welcome there because I struggle with gender dysphoria, probably, probably not welcome there. 
because my life isn't actually together. I'm pr- probably not welcome there because I struggle with porn. Probably not welcome there. My, my marriage is a mess. So pro- probably not welcome there. But the reality is we're well aware of our flaws and our brokenness and our hurt. Paul is saying in the body of Christ, there is no body shaming, no self-shaming. You don't don't get to kick yourself out because you're aware of your brokenness. Yes, your life might be a prismatic shard. (laughs) It might be broken beyond belief. But you don't get to kick yourself out. There's no body shaming in the body of Christ. The second way this happens, Paul says, is an other's shaming. This is verse 21. It says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In other words, those of us who are in the body, we don't get to kick anybody else out. We don't get to say to somebody else, well, because you don't look like me, you don't belong. Because you are a person of color, you don't belong. Because you struggle with gender dysphoria, you don't belong. Because your marriage is in shambles, you don't belong. Like, we don't get to say that. We are all, we are all broken image bearers. All bearing the weight of sin and shame. And we are all brought into the body by the washing of one spirit. You know, sometimes, sometimes I wish that the church could be more like the recovery community. Now, if you've ever been to a recovery meeting, you're probably startled by their honesty. Like, they wear their lives out loud for all of the world to see. If you've ever been to an AA meeting or an Iconics Anonymous meeting, any, they are so honest about their brokenness. I sometimes wish the church would be more honest about our brokenness too. You know, Pastor Adam and I, we have lots of conversations with people whose lives are broken because, after all, we are broken image bearers, but who don't believe that anybody else's life is broken. Because when we come to church on a Sunday morning, guess what? It looks really pretty. Everybody's life looks like it's put together. Everybody's life looks perfect here. It's like this beautiful picture of no broken people. And so when they come to our office and they share their brokenness, they're wearing so much shame because they believe they're the only broken person in the church. I kind of wish we'd be more like the recovery community and just be honest. That we're all broken people. All of us, just broken pieces, broken image bearers who are washed by one spirit to be brought into one body. You know, the the renowned theologian Danny Gokey uh, sings in his song, We All Need Jesus, says we're all broken people. Don't we all just need Jesus? Every moment of our lives, 24, 365, every human is equal, Don't we all have weakness? Everybody makes mistakes, and everybody needs that grace. 
We all need Jesus. The beauty of the body of Christ, as Paul describes it in the New Testament, the church, unlike so many other places in the world, the church is beautiful because we're united in our brokenness. We have a broken kind of beauty. Uh, This is a kintsugi pot. Kintsugi is the Japanese art of restoration. And what they do is they take broken parts of pots, clay pots, that can't be used in sort of those original pieces. They take all of those broken pieces and they make something new. And they do it by adding lacquer and liquid gold so that the new thing is more beautiful than the old thing. This is my picture of the church. A bunch of broken pieces put together by Jesus to be something more spectacular than its original. We all stand under the cross. We all stand under Christ and Christ crucified. And with that at the center, you and I get to be this broken beauty together. So friends, as we enter into this series over the course of the next couple weeks, we'll talk about the value of what it means to be broken people together and how that's so different than the communities in our culture and what it means to live then as a broken people together. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.